Man, if you can't get fired up after that song, then something's wrong, right? Man, gosh, I gotta calm down now. It is great to be here. Great to be with you guys. Everybody hear me? Uh, I hope you guys have had a good week. Okay, we're continuing our series on the kingdom. Okay, and uh, we're just gonna go ahead and dive on into it. Uh, and, and our theme here, live heaven now, right? We're continuing to build into this theme of living heaven right now. You don't, you don't get baptized and wait until you die. You live heaven now. Amen? And uh, if you're interested, these are a couple of books that I've been studying out, some, some great books on the kingdom. And uh, so if you are interested, you know, uh, you can get them on Amazon for not too much. And there, there's some great teaching in there, very practical and biblical as well. But uh, I want to start off just by giving us a recap of last week, right? We looked at the history of the Israelites, and we looked at everything that they had gone through, just kind of a brief overview, you know, 400 years of slavery, 400 years, or 40 years of wandering, 300 years of disobedience and defeat, about 100 years of success as the kingdom of Israel was established, but that was followed by a couple hundred years of division and decline, followed by basically 700 years of being conquered by other world powers and humiliated. And all they had to hold on to during these times were these prophecies, right? And there's some up here from Isaiah and Daniel, these prophecies of someday there was going to be a Messiah that was going to come. They prophesied how the government would be on his shoulders and the end of his government and his reign, that there wouldn't be an end. And there would be this kingdom that would be established that would crush all the other kingdoms, but it would endure forever. And so for years and for generations, they longed and they hoped for the coming of this Messiah. And they couldn't wait for the day that the kingdom, this kingdom, was going to come down and basically destroy all the other kingdoms would be on top, right? Israel would be on top of the world again. But that's not what happened, right? They didn't get David 2.0. They didn't get a superhero. That's not what God intended. And they had difficulty with that. And we talked about how there's this struggle, this battle of wills, and how we have to surrender our expectations on what we think God should do and submit to the way that God has things planned. On his timing, his way, his will, because he's the king. Amen? Amen. And so today, we're going to do a little bit more teaching. We're going to start off by doing a little bit more teaching, because I would like to clarify some stuff. I'd like to go deeper into some teaching on the kingdom. And then we're really going to get into what I like to call the kingdom attitudes, or what we know as the Beatitudes, right? These attitudes... That we should strive for if we would like to be citizens within the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. So this gets us to our question, really, what is the kingdom? The kingdom is God's reign or his rule. You know, and it's difficult to completely understand because it's so vast. And so there's not just a one sentence or one paragraph answer you can get that then you fully grasp what exactly the kingdom is. Now I have it all understood, right? And even Jesus, when he was trying to explain God's kingdom, 
He didn't give just one sentence or one answer. All throughout the Gospels, we see him describing the kingdom in different ways to try to help us get a picture. Right? The kingdom is like a man who sowed good seed in the field. It's like a mustard seed that was planted. It's like yeast that the woman mixed into flour. It's like treasure that's hidden in a field. It's like a merchant looking for pearls. It's kind, you know, it's kind of like a net that's let down into a lake. It's like a landowner who went and hired men for work. It's like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. The kingdom is so vast. It's frustrating because I don't have more of an answer than that. But we do know what it's not, right? The kingdom is not us. The kingdom is not the church. The kingdom is not earth or mankind. Now, surely all those things are a part of God's kingdom, but God's kingdom is not limited to those things, right? That'd be like, hey, Mufasa is the king of Pride Rock. No, no, no. Mufasa, he's the king of everything the light touches, right? That's, that, that's, that's like, oh, the kingdom is the church. No. Now, the, the church is a part of God's kingdom, but it's not just limited to that. It's not just limited to Pride Rock, right? And so when we, when we look at things like seek first the kingdom... It would be doing a disservice to just say, seek first church events, right? right? It's so much broader than just that. Amen. Now, surely a citizen of the kingdom of God would prioritize the meetings of the body. But it's not, it doesn't just mean that. It means seeking first all things kingdom. Thinking, seeking first everything that's under God's will, everything that God desires, we're seeking those things above our will, above anything else. And so that gives us hopefully a little better understanding of what the kingdom is. But it's interesting here. This is referred to, a lot of scholars refer to this as the now, not yet paradox. Stick with me here a little bit. Remember, the Jews expected... The kingdom was going to come almost like fall out of the sky and just, right? Everything is just around it. It would mark the end of this current age. There would be a day when the kingdom would come, history would cease, and all that was moving forward from there was God's kingdom and, his, and, the, and the citizens of that kingdom. And so this is kind of a diagram kind of describing... It's the present age, and then boom, the kingdom comes, history ends, the present age is done, and now it's just the age to come. All that's remaining is God's kingdom. But Jesus talks about this in Luke 17. He says, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. And what Jesus is describing as you study out what he's talking about throughout the Gospels, it's not just this one moment of boom, the kingdom's now here, this age is done, the present age. But what he describes is almost an unfolding, that the kingdom is unfolding and being brought in over a period of time. And so this is actually what's more accurate. Jesus came in and he brought in the beginning of ushering in this new kingdom. And so the kingdom is here, but not completely. 
It's in this process of unfolding. And the present age is not gone. It's here, but not fully. There's this overlap of this new age, this new kingdom coming, and this current age being done away with. And so we live in this really interesting period right here where there's this tension between the new age, this new kingdom, but also the past age, the current age. And so we see this tension, right? Because we, if you, if you are desiring to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, you're signing up to live the kingdom way right. while still being in the present age. And so you see this, this battle of wills, this battle of the way things are done and the way things are supposed to be. Because we're saying, no, we're going we're gonna to live like the age to come. But it's not fully here yet. We're still kind of in the middle of this thing. But there will be a day when Jesus is going to come back. And that will mark the full embodiment of the kingdom. It will be here and the, 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 the present age will be done. That time is coming, but it's not here yet. And like I said, we don't just wait till that day to start living like a citizen of the kingdom of God. We don't get baptized, become a citizen of the kingdom, and just live our lives as usual, and then one day we'll all die, the kingdom will come, and then we'll start. No, no, no. We live heaven now. We live like citizens of the kingdom of God today. We don't wait until Jesus comes back. Amen? Amen. So that was just a little bit of teaching for you. I hope that clarifies stuff. Here's the deal, though, guys. All the head knowledge in the world, if you're the smartest person on the earth and you can understand more than anyone else can understand about the kingdom, that's not what Jesus is looking for. That's not what's going to get us into the kingdom. Understanding everything about God's kingdom is not going to get us into God's kingdom. And that what was, that's what was so revolutionary about the Sermon on the Mount is for the first time, because that, right, that's what the Pharisees did. It was all about head knowledge and rituals. Jesus came on the scene and he went after the heart. That's what was so powerful about this Sermon on the Mount, because for the first time in a long time, people were hearing this message that was more about their heart than about memorizing a bunch of stuff or going through a bunch of checklists. And so today, you can go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 5, because we're going to look at the Beatitudes. We're going to look at these kingdom attitudes. We're going to look at the heart of a citizen of the kingdom of God and what we should be striving for. Do you know what the definition of religion is? It's a system of faith. And I think we all have to ask ourselves, guys, would you describe you and God as a relationship or as a system? Because I think it's very easy for our interaction with God to become a system, right? To become a checklist. Go through the Bible studies, check. Get baptized, check. Right? Write a sin list, check. Get baptized, check. Have my quiet time, check. Have my D time, check. Have my prayer time, check. Go to church, check. Go to midweek, check. Take a sister, well, 
Maybe take a sister on a date. That's not a requirement, so I don't know if I need to check that off, right? Give my tithe. Well, I mean, maybe. If, I, if I'm in college, I don't have to give my, you know. Oh, take communion, check. Confess my sin, check. Right? It's very easy for our interaction with God, for our faith, to become systematic. Check, check, check. Because Jesus, Jesus has no interest in our half-hearted religious checklist to appease our conscience or to make our parents happy. He wants our heart. He wants all of it. He wants our heart. He doesn't want to be a section in our schedule or a box on our checklist. He wants an intimate, deep relationship. He wants our heart. In Matthew 5.20, he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? And so a Pharisee, what? my righteousness has to surpass that. Of, okay, so what do I need to do? Right? Do I need to give more? Do I need to go to church more? Should we have like midweek on Wednesday and then, you know, quarter week on like Monday or Tuesday, like meet again? Like what, what should I do if I've got to be more you know, a religious or righteous than the Pharisees, like, oh my gosh, so I need to memorize uh, that, right? And that's sometimes where our minds can go, wow, I've got to be more righteous than the, okay, but that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about doing more, more checklists. He's talking about more of your heart, more of your relationship. And that's what we get into in Matthew 5 of the Beatitudes. Let's go ahead and read those. Matthew 5. Let's start in verse 1. Now when he said, now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets... Who were before you. The kingdom starts with the Beatitudes. Before you get anywhere, before you start doing anything kingdom-like, it starts, it starts with our hearts. Amen. And it's not coincidence that this is where Jesus started. Right? He's describing what citizens of the kingdom of heaven should live like, but he doesn't start with an action. He doesn't start with a to-do. He starts with who are you? Where is your heart? And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to break down the Beatitudes a little bit today. And it's interesting because a lot of times we read these as just a bunch of different one-liners. Right? Blessed are the, blessed is, you know. But Jesus is actually describing the way that I've studied it, the way that I like to teach it. It's this spiritual transformation that's taking place. 
And that's what we're going to look at today. And what we see, the way that I like to conceptualize this, is that these first four Beatitudes deal with who we are. They deal with us and God. And they lead to how we interact with others in our relationship with others. And so let's start where Jesus started, to be poor in spirit. You know, this word here that he's describing, it's talking about being poor to the point of begging or desperately being bent over on our knees. He's describing a spiritual beggar. He's saying, blessed are the spiritual beggars. Guys, our beginning into God's kingdom starts with us on our knees realizing how lost we really are without God. That's where it all starts. Look in Luke chapter 18. There's a great parable Jesus tells that kind of gives us insight into what he means here. In verse 9, Luke 18 verse 9, he said, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I, gave, I give a tenth of all I give. Right? It's interesting that what he describes that separates him is a bunch of things he does. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast. He said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He tells a parable of someone who's poor and in spirit or someone who's rich in spirit. He describes this other man doesn't even feel worthy to even approach God. Won't even look up. Just in desperate need. And he sees the reality of where he stands in relation to God. God, I don't even, I don't even deserve to come before you. Help me. Isn't that interesting that that is what Jesus looks for at the very beginning for those who are looking to come into his kingdom? It's not talent. It's not ability. It's this realization that I am so desperately lost and I need your help. Guys, it, if we're not poor in spirit, we're not going to get very far in the kingdom of God. It starts with us being on our knees and realizing where we really stand before God. What I'd like to do is I'd like to just take a, just a minute or two just to have some time of just self-reflection. Not to shame yourself, right? But I think that there are times in life where we need to take a step back and really remind ourselves where we actually stand before God. Because guys... We haven't done anything. We're nothing. We're not, it doesn't matter how. We don't deserve to come and stand before God. So let's just take a minute or two. Just bow your heads. Just some self-reflection.
place to start is on our knees as spiritual beggars. Right? Have you ever tried studying the Bible with someone that, that just, just I'm, I'm good, right? I'm a good guy. It's impossible to get anywhere, right? Because there's just this, oh, I'm good, everything's good. It's impossible for God to work in our hearts if we have this mindset of, yeah, I'm not perfect, but I deserve to stand before you. We've got to get back on our knees, guys. We've got to be spiritual beggars. And there's a likely chance that the rest of the Sermon on the Mount will frustrate you if we don't see ourselves accurately where we stand before God. If we don't see ourselves as nothing in desperate need, the rest of Jesus' message, as you try to live it out, will continually frustrate. So let's get back on our knees. Let's get back to being spiritual beggars. Amen? Amen. The next place he goes to, right? Because if you're really a spiritual beggar, if you really see accurately where you stand in the presence of God and how undeserving we are and how in desperate need we are, there's only one really proper response, and that's, that's mourning. Right? When you see your sin accurately, when you really see how lost we are, mourning is really the only proper response. There's an appropriate level of, man, this breaks, you know, my, I hate my sin. Yeah. And, well, really, God doesn't want us to feel guilty. Well, God doesn't want us to live in guilt, right? He doesn't want guilt to be our motivation. But I think there's an appropriate level of sorrow that comes when we accurately see our sin. And in a world where our sin is kind of swept under the rug and told it's, it's not a big deal, it's easy to forget who we really are. Right? And you look at scriptures like in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 8, he says, even if I caused you sorrow, right? Paul was just pointing out the sin in the Corinthian church. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended. And so we're not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. So where does Jesus start? Man, you've got to be aware. We've got to be aware. We've got to be on our knees and realize where we're really at. And there's an appropriate level of sorrow and mourning that comes from that. What comes next is this meekness. What is this word, meek? You know, it means strength under control. And, and the word is used to describe a wild stallion that's been tamed. Basically, meekness, to be meek, means to surrender. It means to just let go, to stop fighting. Right? And that, that makes sense. As Jesus is teaching this, you see where you're at. You see where you stand. You see how in desperate need you are. There's this mourning. There's this brokenness over our sin. And we get to the point where it's just like, I, I give up. I give up. I give up my way. I give up my will. I give up fighting. I'm not going to buck anymore. I know I have free will. Free will. I know I can do whatever I want, right? I'm a wild stallion, but I just, I, I'm, in, I'm so lost. I give up. I give up. Take over. You are Lord. You're in, you're in charge. Your way. Your timing. That's what it means 
To be meek is to let go. And guys, when we've reached that point, in our hearts, when we get to that point, that's when the magic really starts happening. That's when God can really work. When we really understand where we are at, when we understand our sin, when we're broken about our sin, we get to that point of surrender. I'm, I let, I'm letting go, whatever. That's when God can really work because that's when the only thing we desire is righteousness. That's when the thing we want most, right? He describes someone that's starving, right? Or imagine wandering in the desert and, and just and seeing a, like a, a body of water, right? Just this, the only thing I care about right now in the world, I don't care about the clothes I'm wearing. I don't care about what this next week's going to bring. I don't care about anything else going on in life. I just need to get something to eat and something to drink. That's it. Because if not, I'm going to die, right? When we get to that point of surrender, when we get to that point, that's when we start hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That word righteousness, it's actually a relational word. It means to uphold your end of a relationship. And so when we're talking about righteousness, we're talking about being in a right relationship with God. So when we see our sin, when we're broken about it, when we surrender, the only thing that we want in life at that point, the only thing that makes sense, the only thing that we really need to survive is to be in a right relationship with God. Amen. Guys, and that's the beginning of entering the kingdom of God. Amen. It's not the dues. It's not memorizing all the laws and all the scriptures. It's not the checklist. It's not going to church. It's not showing up to midweek on Sunday or Wednesday. It's not showing up to church on Sunday. It's not this. It's that. It's I'm down on my knees, broken. I surrender. And the only thing I care about in life, the only thing I need to survive, is to be in a right relationship with you, God. Amen. That's where it starts. That's where the kingdom of God starts. And that's what we see as we continue that scripture in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 11. See what this sorrow, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness. What eagerness to clear yourself. What indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. We see this attitude of, I am so lost, I will do whatever it takes to be right with you, God. That's all I care about. Nothing else matters. Brothers and sisters, where are you at this morning? Where is your heart at this morning? Try to, try to, you know, get rid of the schedule, get rid of the, the to-dos, get rid of the checklist. Where, where is your relationship with God at this morning? Where is your heart? And what I want to encourage us to continue do, uh, to do as we go through this series is to continue to reevaluate where is our heart. Because most of the time when we get off track, it's probably because we need to go back to that very first being poor in spirit. Right. Most of the time, that's where it starts. And so that's maybe what is appropriate for you at this time. Maybe it's like, you know what, in my quiet times this week, I just need to go back and just evaluate and just remember how, how desperate I am for God. Let's evaluate our hearts, amen? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. And so as, we, as we've studied out this first heart, 
a relationship with God, those things, that heart, that leads to treating people with mercy. Right? It's, it's hard to be patient with someone when you think that you've got it together. Right? And it's so funny, especially working with campus ministry for so long. As, as time goes on, it's just like, dude, come on. Like, oh my gosh, like, what? What? You know, you get a phone call, what? And then all you have to do is just take a second to remember, man, I did the exact same thing at the exact same age. And even, even way worse, right? But when you start to get frustrated or get impatient, that's usually because we've forgotten where, where we really came from. But when we are constantly aware of how far off and how in need we really are, it's so easy to be merciful toward other people. Like, dude, you're an idiot, but so am I. I get it, man. I get it. And so I'm not frustrated at you. I, I'm not mad at you. Uh, yeah, we need to change. We'll work. But I'm here. I'm, I'm here to work with work through with you. Right, right. I, I'm here for you because I've been there. Right. So it's easy to be merciful when we're poor in spirit. It's it's easy to, to have a pure heart toward one another when we're broken about our own sin. Right. It's easier. To be at peace with other people, to make peace. Uh, dude, I, I get it, right? I get it. Because we're able, to, we're able to realize, you know, I think this is where they're at, and I can totally understand that, because that's where I'm at, too. And who am I, right? Who, who am I to, to start all this stuff? Because I'm just as much of a sinner. I'm just as lost. I'm just as broken. Amen. But guys, as we live the kingdom way, right, as we live the kingdom relationships, as we treat each other with mercy and patience and purity and peace, as we live out this kingdom way, we will be persecuted. And that's where Jesus kind of rounds this thing out. He says, hey, you get the right heart for the kingdom, then you start living the kingdom way, there will be persecution. Don't be surprised. But blessed are you who are persecuted. Because guess what? They persecuted the prophets. They persecute, they're going to persecute me, right? So, this is how we kind of see this unfolding of the Beatitudes. It's, it's this spiritual transformation that takes place. When we enter into the kingdom of God through repentance, through new birth, right? Through baptism, water, and spirit. We're given that spirit, it transforms us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. Amen. But guys, it starts with our hearts. And so my encouragement, guys, is not, like I said, not to shame us, not to make us walk around in guilt, but I think it's time to go back. It's time to go back and just remember where we really stand before God. Maybe you've been a disciple for a long time. Maybe you've been a disciple for a couple years. Maybe you're studying the Bible. It starts by going back, getting down on our knees, and just begging God, I'm so lost. I'm so sinful. I'm in desperate need of you. All I want is to be right with you. Right. That's where the kingdom of God starts. It starts in our hearts. Amen? Amen. So next week, we're going to start getting into where our citizenship lies. Are you a citizen of this world? Or are you a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? And how are you going to live? Once we get our hearts right... Then it's time to start living heaven now. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. We'll close with one more song. Father, we need you. We need you, God. Uh, 
God, I, I'm, I'm so humbled to come before you. God, when I think of the sin in my life, I think of, of the impurity and the deceit and the pride and the, 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 uh, the lying, the impatience. God, we don't even deserve to come before you. We don't deserve to have a chance to be citizens of your kingdom. We don't deserve to be a part of your body. God, we don't deserve to come before you. But I'm so, I'm so grateful for you, God. I'm so grateful for your love. I'm so grateful for your patience. God, I pray that you would work in all of our hearts. God, help us to get back on our knees before you, to really realize and remember how far off we are. But God, to treat our sins seriously. God, to not brush it away or sweep it under the rug. But God, to have an appropriate level of mourning and godly sorrow about our sin. And Father, I pray that that gets us to the point to the only thing we care about in life. The only thing we need to survive is to be right with you. Nothing else matters, God. God, we are broken. We desperately need you, and we will do whatever it takes to be in a right relationship with you. God, mold our hearts into kingdom hearts. Help us to have kingdom attitudes. And I pray that that would carry over into our relationships with one another, God. That we would, that we would be at peace. That we'd be patient and merciful toward one another. We'd have pure hearts toward one another. As we strive to live heaven now. God, we know that when we do that, there will be a tension and a friction and there will be persecution that comes. But God, I pray that we would not stop living the kingdom way. God, as we move forward into the Sermon on the Mount, I pray that uh, you continue to open our hearts to your word. And I pray that uh, we can live out your kingdom today. That we wouldn't wait till we die, but live it out today. God, we love you. We need you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.